Psalm 19. Psalm 19. Today we'll just be looking at uh, verses 7 through 14. And really the topic is, is in relation to Reformation Sunday being today. Uh, recognizing the great work of God that He, uh, well, has been doing all throughout the centuries, but we praise God for the Protestant Reformation. We praise God for Martin Luther nailing 95 arguments to the church door in Wittenberg, Germany, in October 31, 1715. Now, why would he do this? Why would Martin Luther do that? Well, it's because Rome, and, and by the way, if, if I say Rome today, I don't, I don't mean the city of Rome. You, you understand that? I mean the system, the religious system of Rome said this, I quote, We accept scripture, but also church tradition, ecclesiastical hierarchies, creeds, etc. That's what they said. And the reformers, guys like Martin Luther and, and the others, they countered that by saying, no, it's Sola Scriptura, as you see on the screen, Latin for Scripture alone, or only Scripture. Scripture alone. So, the idea is if anything else is added to the foundation of the church, then the foundation is going to be split. It's going to be unable to hold the rest of the doctrines, especially the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want us to just think about the five solos, those five onlys of the Reformation for a moment. Uh, somebody has has uh, come up with a helpful diagram I've seen somewhere. I don't remember now. But what, what they did is, uh, I'm, I'm not creative enough to draw it on the screen for you, but, but what they did is they put sola scriptura, scripture alone, as, as like, a, if you think of it, a rectangle, okay, the foundation of a building. And then what they did is they made three pillars on top of that foundation. The three pillars are the uh, the frame, if you will, of the gospel. So in the five solas, you have grace alone, faith alone, in Christ alone. So on, on the foundation of Scripture alone, they put grace, faith, and Christ. And then... When you, after you have the foundation and the pillars, what they, they did is with the fifth, the fifth sola only is, is by God's glory, God's glory alone is on top of those pillars. So if you think of a, think of a building, you know, like a Greek, uh, Acropolis or something like that, it might help you to picture the five solas of the Reformation. But today we're going to look at that that foundation of all those other solas, onlys, is Scripture. There's a lot of misunderstanding on sola scriptura. So, like I often like to do, let's talk about what it's not before we actually talk about sola scriptura, okay? Let's hopefully clear up some misunderstanding here. What sola scripture is, uh, is not, or what Scripture alone is not, number one, it's, it's not a claim that the Bible contains all knowledge. In other words, the Bible is not a huge encyclopedia. It's not, you know, the Google cloud that has all of the world's knowledge in it. It's not what it's about. I mean, I got a big Bible, but there's no way you could get all all of it in that. I mean, my sister-in-law works at the uh, Library of Congress in Washington, D.C., and there's like millions and millions of of books everywhere. The place is massive. There's thousands of books being printed 
all, you know, every, every month, just in the United States alone. There's no way you could get all the knowledge in, in this little book. That's not what it is. Number two, it's not a claim the Bible's an exhaustive catalog of all religious knowledge either. In fact, in John chapter 21, you don't turn there, but, but in John 21 it says, there's no way you could get all of the, the, the things that Jesus said and did in the, the book. Even John admits you can't do that. Number three, it's not a denial of the authority of the church to teach God's truth. Uh, in fact, the Bible itself says in Timothy that the church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. So it is possible to have both the Bible and the church. Number four, it's not a denial that the Word of God has at times been spoken. Okay, Praise the Lord, we got it. We got God's revealed truth here in written form in a book, but you know if you read your Old Testament, God has often spoken. Number five, it does not entail the rejection of every kind or form of tradition. Uh, there are some traditions that are God-honoring traditions, and, and they're useful in the church. We just did one today. Okay, The Lord's Supper is helpful. It's a great tradition. Okay, so some, some are God-honoring and some are useful in the church. So it doesn't mean we, we chuck the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak, right? And number six, it's not a denial of the role of the Holy Spirit in guiding and enlightening the church. The Holy Spirit is a person. He exists and He's the one who wrote Scripture. He's the one who illuminates us and guides us into all truth. So let's talk about what Sola... Scripture is. What, what does it mean? Scripture alone, what, what does that look like? Well, here's some things on the screen here for you. Number one, it is the belief that the Scriptures alone are sufficient to function as the infallible rule of faith for the church. It's infallible. It's without error. It's everything we need there for life and godliness. And number two, all that one must believe to be a Christian is found in Scripture and in no other source. We don't need some church hierarchy. You don't need, uh, you don't, I mean, creeds are helpful, but you don't need those. You don't need some pope. You don't need to, any of that sort of stuff that often gets added. And number three, that which is not found in Scripture is not binding upon the Christian. I'll give you an example. There's a religious group in our city who believes that, and, and they, they actually teach their congregations, they're not allowed to have caffeine. You know who I'm talking about. You ever heard that? No caffeine. So can't have chocolate with caffeine, can't have coffee, can't have tea. Is that in the Bible? No, it's not in the Bible. So where are they... How can the church hierarchy tell people to do that? And I've talked to people in those congregations who actually, you know, I'm here, I'm sitting at work drinking a coffee, and they're telling me, oh, I can't have that. Why do they do that? Where do they get that from? Their their church told them to do that. Well, that's not in the Bible. So I say, well, if it's not in Scripture, it's not binding upon me. Number four, Scripture reveals those things necessary for salvation. So in Scripture, we, we get to meet the person of Christ. We see his perfect life, his perfect death, and his resurrection. And we learn all about his present work and what he's going to do in the future. And 
We, we learn about salvation by faith alone and grace alone and Christ alone. We learn all that stuff there, right? Everything we need there to know how to become a Christian is there. Number five, all traditions are subject to the higher authority of Scripture. All traditions, by the way, are subject to Scripture. So that's what it means, sola scriptura. So you get, get you got guys like we, we saw earlier in the video, John Wycliffe, at, ooh, attacking the mass, transubstantiation. And, and people would say, how dare you do that? Why, why was he doing that? Because it wasn't in Scripture. It was perfectly right for him to question these traditions and, the, and these beliefs of their system because it wasn't in Scripture. Well, we live in a complex modern age, don't we, where it's, it's, it just seems more difficult than ever to take the time necessary for us to listen well to people. Uh, one of you, I was, I was listening to one of your testimonies earlier last week, uh, last week where someone came to your door and it's like, man, if I, if I keep going with this gospel presentation here, this is, this is going to be really inconvenient uh, for me and my family. It, it ended up going in over an hour, right? So it's hard for us to listen. We don't want to take time often to listen to people. We're too busy. Hard to serve others through compassionate personal involvement. And it, it's hard to provide that close fellowship necessary for the church body to to be healthy and and have vitality. Uh, sadly, a lot of churches have uh, looked to psychologists to fill this this gap. A lot of people feel, feel a gap. They see a gap. Hey, things aren't going so well in our church. Well, let's turn to psychology. And so professional psychologists, by the way, are certainly no... Uh, substitute for spiritually gifted people. It's no substitute for uh, for the Bible. And so the, the uh, counsel that psychology offers can't actually replace biblical wisdom and the Holy Spirit and divine power in our lives. But many try. And so we look to places like Psalm 19, which is a wonderful passage that tells us about the sufficiency of God's Word. God's Word is sufficient. It's all that you need for life and godliness. Right? It's not going to teach you everything about plumbing, David. (laughs) It's not going to tell you how to do your job at work, Greg. Right? It's not going to teach you how to do typing or electrical engineering. Right? It's not going to tell you all that sort of stuff, but it, it tells you everything you need for life and godliness. So Psalm 19 is, I think, probably the best statement in the, in the entire Bible about the sufficiency of Scripture, and it's put it in very concise terms for us. In fact, we're just going to look at verses 7 through 14 today. And what we're going to see here in, in Psalm 19 is, is a teaching that really counters the teaching of those who believe, hey, you know, I need something to supplement God's Word. You know, God's Word isn't sufficient. You know, there's all kinds of stuff I can learn from books and psychology and so forth. And sure, you can learn a lot of other things from other places. But God's Word is sufficient for life and godliness. So having said that, let's look at verse 7. Psalm 19, verse 7. 
Bible says this, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So the Holy Spirit here has given us a very comprehensive catalog, if you will, of the characteristics and the benefits of Scripture. So we'll look at these individually here. In, uh, particularly in verses 7 through 9. So we're going to look at these, these six statements about Scripture. Now I want you to notice, uh, starting here in verse 7, there, there's, <clears throat> there's something in common about verses 7, 8, and 9. And you'll notice that each title for Scripture includes that phrase, of the Lord. So you see the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the rules of the Lord. It says the same thing, of the Lord. And hopefully your Bible has Lord in all capital letters to distinguish that that is Yahweh. That is Yahweh. That is the Trinity's title for themselves that you find throughout the Old Testament. It's the Hebrew word Yahweh. It's it's God's covenant name. And so each of these six statements that we're going to look at here highlight a characteristic of God's Word. What do we learn about God's Word? Well, we're going to look at the descriptions here, but then it also shows the effect of the Bible, of what the effect should be in our lives, at least in those who embrace and don't want to just be hearers, but doers of the Word. Number one is found in verse 7. The first statement that's highlighting this characteristic of God's Word is that Scripture is perfect. Scripture is perfect. Now, I've supplemented all these various names, law, testimony, precept, commandment, fear, rules for Scripture, because that's what it's referring to. It's all referring to Scripture, to the Bible. So we see that Scripture is perfect. What does it do? It revives your soul. The Hebrew word translated law there in your Bible is Torah. That refers to Scripture as the sum of of what God has revealed for our instruction. Uh, As I said, Peter said, God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And so God's revealed His instructions to us, not everything, but what we need to know. He's told us what we need to believe, what uh, He's told us, what our character should be like, what, what, are we, what we actually are in the inner being, and he's told us about our conduct, what, what we need to do. Now notice the description here in your Bible in verse 7. 
We see that Scripture is perfect. You see that? Verse 7. The word perfect is a common Hebrew word. It just means this. It means whole. It means complete. It's sufficient. Scripture is whole, complete, sufficient. It conveys the idea of something that's comprehensive. It's something that covers all aspects of an important issue. Here's what Albert Barnes said when he was alive. I quote, The meaning of perfect is that Scripture lacks nothing for its completeness. Nothing in order that it might be what it should be. It is complete as a revelation of divine truth. It is complete as a rule of conduct. It is absolutely true. It is adapted with consummate wisdom to the needs of man. And it is an unerring guide of conduct. There is nothing essential for man to know which may not be found there. Scripture embodies all that is necessary for one's spiritual life. You want to know how to live the Christian life? You want to know what you should believe, what you, what you should do? Then you go to Scripture. Well, how does God's perfect law affect us? How does it affect people? What does it say in verse 7? It says that Scripture revives your soul. Scripture revives your soul. That Hebrew word translated revive uh, can mean restoring. Uh, Sometimes it's translated converting, refreshing. All kind of synonyms meaning the same idea. But uh, one of my favorite synonyms of that word reviving is transforming. The effect of Scripture on your life and my life is it's transforming. It's conforming, if you will. It's conforming us into the image of Christ. So what is Scripture transforming? What does it say in verse 7? Scripture is transforming your soul. Transforming your soul. And you say, well, okay, what's my soul? What is that? Well, soul refers to... Your person. It refers to yourself, your heart. It encompasses all that. And so the essence really is it's your inner person. It's, it's the real you. So when you die, you, your soul doesn't die. Your soul lives forever. So it's, it's you. It, it's you that goes to heaven if you're a believer. If you're an unbeliever, the soul is, is what goes to hell. It's the real you. And so to paraphrase David's words here, we we could say it this way, that Scripture is so powerful, it's so comprehensive that it can transform the entire person. It can change you and me into precisely the person that God wants us to be. Is that happening in your life? On a day-by-day basis? Are you in God's Word? Are you finding your soul being revived on a daily basis? God's Word can do that. You need to go to God's Word. If you're not in God's Word, then, well, how's that going to happen? How's that going to happen? It's not, is it? You need God's Word. It's going to revive your soul. So make, make a covenant between you and God. And if, you have a, if, you, if you're not self-disciplined, then you need to find an accountability partner that will hold you accountable, that encourage you. You encourage each other. Hey, you know, you say, just be honest, okay? I know what it's like. I'm struggling to read God's Word. Frankly, we're too busy. We're too distracted. 
okay? I, I, find it, I find it easier to read it, you know, to preach a sermon, to study, study for a sermon sometimes than to read God's Word. I find it easier to do other things, good things, okay? I understand. But Scripture is perfect. It revives your soul. Number two is also in verse 7. We see here that Scripture is not only perfect, it's also sure, making wise the simple. Look at Psalm 19, verse 7. It says that it's the testimony of the Lord that is sure. What does that word testimony mean? It, it speaks of Scripture as a divine witness. Okay, If someone is a testimony, or if, if you were to come up here and share your testimony, what are you doing? You are talking of God's work in your life, right? How did God save you? What is God doing in your life? That's your testimony. This is the testimony of the Lord. It's a divine witness for God. It's God's sure testimony to who He is and what He requires of us. How do you get to know God? It's through Scripture. You can't see God. God's not talking to you in an audible voice. So he's giving you Scripture. And by the way, what does it mean to say that Scripture is sure? That's what it says there in verse 7. But what does that mean? Well, sure means that God's testimony, his witness, is unwavering, it's immovable, it's unmistakable, it's totally reliable, it is worthy to be trusted. God never lies. God cannot lie. When God says something, you can know that it is true. In fact, the John 17 says, Jesus says, your word, as he's talking to, praying to his father, he says, your word is truth. And that's coming from the one who is the truth. So it's, it's worthy to be trusted. It provides a solid foundation on which to build our lives and eternal destinies. Isn't it great to know what's going to happen when you die? Well, that's very comforting, is it not? Isn't it comforting? We, we go through this, this world that's filled with troubles and trials and pain and suffering and persecution and you know, the list goes on, you know, with all the things we have. But the one thing that I keep going back to is as I deal with physical pain, emotional pain, and so forth is I know where I'm going. I know the future. I know who holds the future. I know that one day my pain's going to be gone. I'm going to have a perfect body. I'll be with Jesus Christ, who's absent from the body, he's present with the Lord. I have a glorious eternal destiny awaiting me. So do you if you're a believer. So Scripture's the product of God's Spirit. It, God's Holy Spirit, as the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1, he moved upon those human authors in such a way as just like the wind blowing the sails of a ship, of a sailing ship. He moved those human authors and he produced his word in its written form. And we know that it is perfect, it is sure, it's trustworthy because the Holy Spirit is the one who did it. So God wants our faith, our preaching to be based on Scripture. Now we have creeds, we have doctrinal statements, and those things are are good, but only in the sense that they're based on Scripture. Okay, So by all means, read those things that we give to you. Read them, know them, believe them. We need to hold each other accountable to, the, to that orthodox truth. 
And that's why we put all the scripture in our constitution, in our doctrinal state. So believers today should be seeking to know God's word. We shouldn't be going around trying to seek some supernatural experience or some ecstatic experience. No. Experiences can easily be counterfeited. We, we can assume things. We can be mistaken. But not with Scripture. Never with Scripture. Scripture is sure. But notice in verse 7 it says that Scripture is sure, making wise the simple. Well, the simple. Who are they? Is that you? Are you simple? Is this talking about you? Well, the Hebrew word for simple comes from an expression, open door. Open door. It, it evokes the image of some naive person who doesn't know when to shut his mind to false teaching. In the New Testament, Paul talked about people being blown about by every wind of doctrine. Right? That's a naive person. An ignorant person. Uh, this person's undiscerning. The simple person is ignorant. They're, they're gullible. And if you tell them, hey, did you know gullible's not in a dictionary? They'll say, really? Yeah, that kind of a person. But God's Word makes this person wise. You see that? It makes wise the simple. It makes that gullible, ignorant person wise. Praise God, because that's you and me. That's you and me. And by the way, what does it mean to be wise? Making wise the simple. Well, wise speaks not only of one who merely knows some facts. That's not enough. But it talks about somebody who has the art of godly living. It's someone who knows the facts, knows Jesus, knows what the Bible says, and then acts on that and obeys and is a doer of the Word. This is the person who submits to Scripture, knows how to apply it to the circumstances of his life. Not many people, it doesn't seem like there's many people like that, right? You notice that? I mean, even at uh, where my secular job, I keep having people coming up to me and I'm kind of like the uh, the chaplain of LIC. You know, even this past past week, I've had several people come up and say, "Hey, would you pray for me?" Or, "What does the Bible say about this?" And which is cool. I enjoy that sort of thing. But people are lacking in wisdom. It's like, okay, you just point them to Scripture, right? That's what we do. Go to Scripture; it's there. So we see. Scripture is sure, making wise the simple. Number three. In verse 8, it says that Scripture is right, rejoicing the heart. It's rejoin- the, the effect there is it's rejoicing the heart. But what is it? You see the word precept there in verse 8. Precept, or maybe your Bible might say something else, but precepts are divine principles. They're guidelines for our character and our conduct. Uh, and what we see here is that God's place in Scripture every principle that you and I need to live a godly life. The author of this psalm, I believe David, said that God's principles are right. They're right. That word has the sense of showing someone the true path. In Psalm 19 it says that, that Scripture is like a light that lights our path. It's a light to our path. And the truths of Scripture lay out that proper path. Sometimes you might feel like life is a maze. You ever gone through one of those corn mazes? 
Yeah, we, we did one back in the summertime. And it was difficult at first. Remember that, Heidi? We were trying to, get, we're trying to go through, and, and, and you keep finding yourselves at dead ends, and, you, and so you're trying to look up through the corn, trying to find landmarks. How, man, you, you get lost. Sometimes you feel like that in life. You go around the corner and you come to a dead end in your life. Oh, now what? <laughs> God's principles are right. The idea here is that the, the truths of Scripture are laying out this proper path as we go through life. And that's a wonderful confidence that no matter what you go through in life, you can always come to God's Word. You, you may not know where to find it, but... Hopefully somebody in our congregation can point you to Scripture and say, brother or sister, here's the answer. It's one of the beauties of being a part of a congregation. We can help each other. The problem is most people seek answers from wrong sources. Just think about it. Your, your unsaved workmates, your unsaved family members, your, your unsaved friends, where are they going to find answers for their life? You know, right? You don't need to say it out loud. I mean, they're going all sorts of places, right? Yeah, they're going to the library. They're going to the bookstore. Even people who aren't Christians go to the Christian bookstore and unfortunately sometimes find rubbish. Or they, they got they got to go to the psychologist or, you know, they got to get some psychoanalyzing done for them or there's all kinds of sad things going on in the world. But the, the wrong sources directing them in the wrong way. But notice what it says here in verse 8. What, what effect does the Bible have on us? Look at that, verse 8. What effect does the Bible have on us? It rejoices the heart. It rejoices the heart. Because it's right, it rejoices the heart. It steers us through the right course of life, and in the process of doing that, God's Word brings great joy into our life causes the heart to rejoice. And so, my friend, don't turn to self-indulgent pursuits to find joy, because it won't work. It won't work. Why do you think people got to go find the next buzz, the next high? i got to get the next alcohol drink, the next drug. i got to jump off a higher cliff. i got to climb a higher mountain. i got to do... Something faster, higher, taller, deeper. You, you, know, you, you know what I mean? Why are they doing that? It's the next buzz, the next high, because those things don't satisfy. But in God's Word, we find it, what does it do? It rejoices the heart. Number four, Scripture is pure, enlightening the eyes. You notice the word commandment there in verse 8. Commandment stresses that that the Bible is non-optional in its nature. It's non-optional. You, you can't read uh, commandments in the Bible and say, well, you know, you know that, that was nice for Paul or Peter or Moses. Or, you know, that's nice for those guys, but I'm just going to do my own thing. You can't do that. The Bible is a non-optional in nature. It's not a book of suggestions. No, it's divine mandates authoritatively given by us God, by God, and they are binding. Unlike most of the referendums we have in New Zealand, right? <laughs> God says this, he, he, he means to do it. 
And so those who treat it lightly, what are they doing? They're actually placing themselves in eternal peril. So those who take it seriously are going to find eternal blessing. But it says here that Scripture is pure. What does it mean to be pure? Pure could also be translated clear. Uh, scripture, the idea here is that Scripture is not mystifying, it's not confusing, it's not puzzling. Sure, there's, there's parts of Scripture that are harder to understand than others. Okay, And you might need to go to other godly men to find out uh you know what does that actually mean but the general the general thing of scripture is that it's clear as long as you you have the right hermeneutic if you take a literal hermeneutic even with the figurative language just read it as it says it's not that hard to understand overall scripture's clear of course you might have a hard time understanding uh I don't know. I'm not even going to get into those those passages, but you know, there's some things you you're still trying to grapple with, right? You're trying to understand, and you may never in this life fully understand it. That's okay. But the Bible's not a confusing book, and so it's clear. It has clarity, and because of its absolute clarity, Scripture brings understanding where we might be ignorant. It brings order where we might have some confusion. It gives us light where there is spiritual and moral darkness. This is why you need to know God's Word. Why you need to be in it and meditating upon it and memorizing it and studying it. It's pure. And notice, what does it do? It enlightens the eyes. Psalm 119 has a wonderful prayer that I hope you use often. When you, when you have your quiet time with God, Psalm 119 says, Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your word. Psalm 119 also says, Incline my heart to your word. Those are prayers I use uh, almost every time I come to God's word. You need that divine enabling. Okay, If you're having a hard time understanding God's word, well, first of all, the Bible says that it's spiritually discerned. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're going to well, that's one reason a lot of people don't understand it. And if you are saved, you need, you still need the Holy Spirit to fill you, to illuminate you, to open your eyes, to behold wonderful things from His Word. Number five. Verse nine, it says that Scripture is clean, enduring forever. Scripture is clean, enduring forever. That You'll see the word fear in verse nine. The fear of the Lord, the idea of fear there, it's it's really a synonym, again, for God's Word. It's a synonym for God's Word. Fear often speaks of the reverential awe for God that uh, hopefully compels us to worship Him in the right way. And so in, in this sense here, Scripture is God's manual, if you will, on how to worship Him. How do you, how do you know how to worship God? I mean, John 4, 24 says, those who worship God must worship Him in spirit and in truth. How do you worship in truth? What does that look like? How do I know that? Well, you need God's Word. And you'll see that Hebrew word translated clean in your Bible, verse, uh, verse 9. It speaks of the absence of impurity there. It's the absence of filthiness, of defilement, of, imp- of imperfection. 
Scripture doesn't have that. It's without sin. Scripture uh, is not evil. It, it does, it's not corrupt. It's not filled with errors. And so the truth that we see in Scripture is absolutely undefiled. It's without blemish because that's God's character and God has imbued His Word with His own character. Jesus said in Mark chapter 13, that heaven and earth will pass away, but My words will not pass away. A wonderful truth. And so that guarantees the Bible then is something that's permanent. It's something that's unchanging. It's relevant for every age and always will be in every age of history. Which reminds me of a story I heard. There was this debate. Listen closely. There was a debate between a pastor and this man who led an evangelical homosexual denomination. I know, that's an oxymoron, isn't it? Sounds like an oxymoron. An evangelical homosexual denomination. Yeah, it's... Anyway, here's what the pastor asked the man. He said, what do you do with the Bible's condemnations of homosexuality as sin? (laughs) He said, oh, come on. Everybody knows the Bible is psychologically unsophisticated, reflecting the views of primitive thinking. The Bible's antiquated in its sociological theory. You can't go to an ancient document like this and expect to deal with with the present century social problems. The Bible ought to stay in its own environment. It needs to be updated with a contemporary understanding of psychological and sociological phenomena. End quote. And that guy claims to be a Christian. Right? That's, that's not coming from somebody who, who claims to be an atheist. And so this, this is becoming more and more common today. You'll come across people all the time who claim to be Christian and, and they're attacking God's word like this. Well, I believe those comments grieved the Holy Spirit. And so the reality is whatever time or culture you live in, the beauty of, of the Bible is it's, it's always eternally relevant doesn't matter where you go in the world, what time, century you are, it's always relevant. Number six. It's also in verse nine. It says that Scripture is true, altogether righteous. That word rules, you'll see in verse nine. In this context, it means ordinances. It means divine verdicts that are, think of them as coming from the judge's bench. Capital J, judge. These are divine verdicts coming from the bench of the supreme judge of the universe. The Bible is God's standard for judging your life. You can't say, well, hey, I'm a good person, and and you be the authority of that. (laughs) No. 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 God is the judge. The Bible is is God's standard for judging your life. It tells us whether or not where we're going in our eternal destiny. Unbelievers can't know what's true because, guess what? They're blind to the truth of God's Word. Well, if you're ever depressed, I don't suggest reading Priscilla Slegel's book entitled The Way Up From Down. Even the title ought to tell you something. The title of the book, The Way Up From Down, and by the way, she's a... Uh, contemporary psychiatrist. And in her book, she wrote a section entitled 
reprogramming your conscious mind. And the doctor's first suggestion in uh, that particular chapter was, she said, she says, <laughs> this makes me laugh, sorry. She says, uh, you're to shout the word cancel. Every time you have a negative thought that enters your mind, just shout the word cancel. All right? By the way, I'm not suggesting you do this. But anyway, this is what she, she also recommends uh, sleep programming. And by sleep programming, what, what she mentions in her book is you, you play a tape or a CD or some, some recording and you do that all through the night. And you want something that's going to be giving you positive feedback all through the night, and, and, and supposedly that's going to change your mind. And during the day, she, she suggests you listen to positive music. And so this is her idea of reprogramming your conscious mind. That's her advice in that chapter. And so the doctor also thought it would be helpful to cultivate a meaningful spiritual philosophy. And I don't have time to get into the book and really... That's not the point of the sermon anyway. But she, she said that to find a belief system that works for you, any will do. Any will do? That's what she says. Any will do. But be sure to avoid people who talk about sin and guilt. Whoa. And her final point was that you are to find the light in yourself. Wow. Wow, that's... Uh, unfortunately, that's the best human wisdom has to offer us. Find the light in yourself. Well, I got news for you. You don't want to find that light in yourself. You might find something, but it's not attractive. <laughs> the Bible says there is no one righteous. There is no one who is good. Jesus said he is the only one who is. Well, notice verse 9 again. Because it says that Scripture is true. It is righteous altogether. And so the implication of that phrase is that its, its truthfulness produces a comprehensive righteousness in those people who actually accept it. And because it's complete, it's an exhaustive source of truth and righteousness, guess what? We're forbidden to add to it. We are forbidden to take from it. We are forbidden to distort Scripture. And so contrary to what many are teaching today, there's no need for additional revelations. There's no need for visions. There's no need for words of prophecy. Beware of people who walk up to you and say, hey, brother or sister, I got a word for you. Beware. By the way, I don't suggest you do what the Old Testament says. If their word of prophecy doesn't come true, in the Old Testament it says to, to kill that person. Don't do that, all right? But that's how serious God takes that stuff. So rather than seeking something more than God's glorious revelation, what we need to do as Christians is we need to study, we need to obey what we already have. (laughs) That's our problem. We're not obeying everything we already know. And may I remind you, the Bible says, to whom much is given, much will be required. Well, look how David concludes this. He concludes that God's word is, look what he says in verse 10, more to be desired 
uh, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and the drippings of the honeycomb. The reality is too many of us take our Bibles for granted. We, most of us got multiple Bibles, and if you're like me, you got an entire shelf filled up with study Bibles. I'm one of these weird people who collect study Bibles, right? We've got heaps. There's people around the world who have nothing. And so we, we tend to take it for granted. We forget there's, there are some people in the past, and, and even today, who are still giving their lives to just even own a page out of the Bible. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. <laughs> Well, the warnings of Scripture help to protect us against temptation. You want to know how to deal with temptation? You want to know how to fight the battle that goes on in your mind every day? You need to go to Scripture. Because Scripture says you, you memorize, you take God's Word into your life so you won't sin against God. So the warnings of Scripture help protect us against temptation. It helps protect us against sin, it protects us against error, even foolishness. Read Proverbs. It'll be very helpful in that. Uh, it helps, helps us to know who the false teachers are. As I was, uh, for my job today, I had, um, this past week, I had to drive around in a car, and, and just for curiosity, I was listening to various radio stations, and the beauty of, of knowing God's Word is, is it's easy to detect false teachers. And there's heaps of them on the radio. But it, but it also, there's, there's threats to our spiritual well-being that are just coming from everywhere. You need, you need that protection from God's Word. And by the way, to heed those warnings, the Bible says is going to bring great reward. It's going to bring great reward. Do you, do you see that in verse 11? You don't just hear God's Word. You don't just read God's Word. You need to do something because verse 11 says, Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Notice it's not reading the Scripture. It's in keeping of Scripture there is great reward. So, this is not some material prize. It's not. It, it, it's, it, what it's talking about is a spiritual blessing for you. It's a spiritual blessing. Okay, <clears throat> this is not a health and wealth prosperity gospel. It's not, hey, I'm going to do this, and then God's going to make me wealthy, and you know, I'm going to have five a five car, you know, uh, Rolls Royce and a Lamborghini. You know, it, not that sort of stuff. Okay, this is spiritual blessing. So, if you think you can somehow find answers to your spiritual problems through going to some human counselor or going and seeking the world's wisdom someplace, you are forfeiting the most valuable, and by the way, the only reliable source of answers to your dilemmas, to your issues in life. You're, you're giving up the best for something that doesn't hold water. It's, it's like, you know, it's like I'm going to take the old cracked, dirty buckets that can't hold water. I'm going to choose that one over something that can actually hold water. And that's what we do all the time. So what I, what I want to challenge you from 
Psalm 19 is that don't relinquish the satisfying riches of God's Word. Don't pass that off. And somehow say that's irrelevant, that's old, it's full of errors, or whatever excuses you might come up with. It's not. God says it's not. It's perfect. It's it's sure. It gives wisdom and, and all these other things we just read about here, right? It revives our soul. It It is right. It is pure. It is something that's clean. It is true. And because of that, it will have those effects on us. It will. So what do we do, my friends? Don't relinquish the satisfying riches of God's Word, but in its place, you need to turn to God through His Word. This is how God is choosing to reveal Himself. Okay? If you don't like it, you have to take that up with God. Okay? Some people just don't like that. They need to deal with that. You need to deal with it. This is how God has chosen to reveal Himself, and, and also in His general revelation, but this is special revelation. Okay? The general revelation is in the first part of Psalm 19. The special revelation is here in verses 7 through 14. And so God says in verse 14 that we are, look at verse 14. You're let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So do you believe it's acceptable? Do you? Really? If you do, then you're going to do something with God's word. You're going to read it. You're going to study it. You're going to meditate. Keep chewing it over like a cow chews its cud. That's what meditation is. You're going to do that. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to <coughs> soak everything out of it that you can. You're going to live in it. You're going to be pickled in it. So are you doing that? Do you actually believe that God's word is sufficient? If you do, you're going to do those things that verse 14 talks about. And the beauty in this is, as verse 11 says, if you do this, there's great reward. There is spiritual blessing coming your way. Now, what are you going to do with God's word? Do you believe in sola scriptura? This is the foundation of the Reformation, if you will. What are you going to believe? Where's your authority? Now, you, you've heard me say often that the Bible is our only rule of authority for faith and practice. Do you believe that? Here's where a lot of unity problems come in churches. Okay, Let me just get, get practical for a moment here. If, if we don't believe the same thing, there's going to be conflict. There will be conflict. So we need to to be humble and come to God's Word, see what it says, and then obey and act upon that truth. Will you do that with me? Will you pray with me that God would give us unity, protect us from ourselves, from, from wolves that might come in sheep's clothing? Let's do that.